Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the People Project Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Alexander, and each week I bring you episodes on different topics that affect us all in different ways, internally, externally, or sometimes both. This week, I am bringing you an episode with my friend Tim Meguez, and we are going to be talking all about the impact of athletics, and um, both positive and negative, Um, and Tim will be coming at it from like a coach's perspective, and then of course, um, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, so I'll be coming at it from like a fan perspective, a spectator perspective, right? Um, So we'll talk about the positives, the negatives, um, and kind of weigh in on... um, you know, our feelings of athletics as a whole. So um, thank you guys for submitting your questions. We definitely get around to all of them. Um, So without further ado, I give you my interview with Tim. All right. And now everybody, I am joined by my friend Tim. Hi, Tim. Hey, Kelsey. How's it going? It is going good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join me. I know with your, your beautiful wife and your cute little kiddos, I appreciate you taking some time to, to sit down and talk with me. Oh, I'm happy to do it. I'm very happy to do it. Thank you. So if you want to start, so everybody kind of knows like, you know, what the episode is about, but if you want to start um, and kind of give us a little bit of your background, like what you do for a living and, you know, why this is something that's important to you. And like, I guess kind of give a little bit of background of like what all in like the coaching and sports realm that you've done, because it's kind of all over the board. So I want to make sure people know what's, what's being covered here. <laughs> all right. So. Um, I've been a high school basketball coach, football coach, and teacher for the past five years. And that I've coached girls basketball, boys basketball. I've also coached track and field, cross country, a little bit of powerlifting, kind of been all over the place with that. Um, Before that, in college, I was a student manager at the University of Louisiana. Um, I've ran summer camps and stuff for NBA teams, Um, done a lot of like traveling and coaching. Uh, I just recently accepted the job to build a brand new program at a new school down here in South Louisiana, a college level program. So really excited about that opportunity. So you really have like, you've experienced um, like athletics from all different perspectives, you know, it's not just that. And that was kind of, you know, something that was really interesting to me when you reached out to me about this topic, because like you're not pigeonholed into one, you know, one sport, one age group or anything like, you know, you've kind of got an all over the board um, perspective of it. And then also the perspective is being a sports fan. So, right. you know, and I won't hold being a Pelicans fan against you. It's fine. <laughs> I, appreciate um, that. I think, you know, Zion is enough of a problem for you guys. So I won't I bring agree. him up. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we can kind of get into it. Um, so for those of you that skipped through the intro, <laughs> um, this episode is about the impact of athletics, you know, both the positive, the negative. Um, we're, I mean, me specifically, like most of my athletic knowledge lies within basketball. Um, you know, anybody that knows me knows that to be true. So, um, you know, and I'm not an athlete by any means. Um, again, anybody who knows me knows that to be true. Um, but I'm a big sports fan. And so a lot of my perspective is going to come from that. And of course, like, you know, the research that I've done and everything. So, um, 
but yeah, so we're going to start with the positive impact of athletics. Um, of course, we will touch on the negative as well um, and a few things in between. So let's get to it. All right. Um, so one big thing, um, one big positive of the impact of, you know, sports of any kind is, you know, it creates a foundation of fitness for, for students or for anybody really. Right. You know, you, right. it's not just like going out and playing the game. Like you have conditioning, you have, um, you know, practice you go to, I say every week, but you know, it's multiple times a week. Um, so you're building this foundation of like how to take care of your body and how to be physically fit because my understanding, I mean, it's not just like in the gym either. Like it's, um, you know, what's well, weight room yeah. on the track. It's on it's the like court. Full it's, body a fitness. it's everything. Well, yeah. as you say full body, it's mental fitness as well. You know, it's a, can I get through this? Can I mentally withstand this? Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's something. See, I never thought about that. Like the mental side of things. Like, I, I mean, like, obviously, you know, you can see how that affects players. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of athletes over the last several years, you know, open up about their mental health struggles and stuff like that. And, but, you know, I didn't, I never really thought about that as part of the training, um, you know, that athletes do is like having those conversations. But I mean, that's just as important. I mean, your mental wellness is just as important as your physical wellness, because if there's a disconnect there, you know, that can cause injury, um, you know, internal and external injury. Exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of programs, especially on the college level that have a bit more money, um, one of the things that's becoming big, the two things that have become the biggest are like uh, dietitians, the nutrition mm-hmm. board for athletes, mm-hmm. and a mental health specialist. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, like I said, usually that's on the, the bigger side of the money, but even at the high school level, yeah, um, we, ha- we have our guidance counselors mm-hmm. that have talked to the guys and kind of helped them, not just with the academics, but like, a, hey, how are you today? I'm not your coach. I'm not going to hold this against you in any yeah, way, like shape, or form. Yeah, like, this is confi- a confidential conversation. Like, how are you? Are you good? Yeah. Exactly. And that's one of the things that I think positively impacts um, people is, like, the stakeholders that buy in because mm-hmm. of being an athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, and, like, you know, that could be the only place that these people get that, right? I mean, you know, there's such Agreed. this, there's such a stigma around, still, unfortunately, there's still such a stigma around, um, you know, talking about mental health sometimes, especially with men too. Um, you know, is you know, yes. is talking about, you know, like I feel this way, I feel that way, I'm struggling with this, you know, like there's this expectation almost to be like, you know, this big tough guy and like especially an athlete, you know, right? Like you've got to be big and tough and, you know, right. not talk about any of that. But I think that that's that's really cool that, you know, by being a part of an athletic program, they can have access to that. And that might be the only place that they ever would have had access um, or had somebody, you know, have those conversations with them. Hopefully, you know, it becomes more of like a, um, you know, more of a common thing for men to, um, you know, discuss their mental health, which I do have a podcast episode coming up fairly soon about that. Um, Easy plug right there. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, but but that's cool. That's not something that I ever thought about because when I think of like um, like the psychological aspect of you know athletics, I think more of like the relationship building and team building and you know like the part like personal side of it. You know, like the interpersonal right. relationship side of it. But where all that's important, you know, the the 
understanding of mental health is as well because you know you get to the pro level or even the college level the way that people like hold you to the standard like that's a lot of pressure and you know I think about that sometimes you know with how people react like on social media and stuff to like their team losing and like you forget that these are people almost you know what I mean like especially the college level right kids they're kids exactly they are literally children and a lot of the times you know you tell them to you know especially like whenever I grew up playing sports it was oh man up oh rub some dirt on it and like yeah you have to be mentally and physically tough but at the same time in order to be mentally tough you have to be mentally taken care of exactly exactly and like stuff's Um, gonna and stuff's gonna bother you you know like well because at the end of the day it is a game right you know, while I do, I, I understand how blessed and like I am that I get paid to participate right, right. in the game. It is at the end of the day a game. If I, you know, if I let a win or a loss impact the way that I come home mm-hmm. and treat my family, then I'm not really living that standard that we ask our kids right. to do. You, you know what I mean? So it's right, just, for sure. you know, the mental aspect is a really big thing. And I think there really has been a big push in athletics, men's and women's at every level to to kind of take care of that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Um, So another impact is, this is my economic developer brain coming out, but the economic impact of um, athletics. So, um, you know, this is just a little bit of information, but like in 2010, the New York City Marathon boosted the city's economy um, to the tune of $340 million. um, And the Chicago Cubs um, generate a minimum of $600 million annually for the state of Illinois. Um, and that's like just the games. That's not, in, that's not even including like merchandise sales or anything or food right. sales. That's literally just the games. Um, and then job that's creation, crazy. according to the economic modeling specialists international, um, as of 2013, <laughs> the sports industry in America produced 456,000 jobs for an average salary of $39,000 a year. Um, so, you know, and, like, those jobs, like, it's obviously, like, at the arenas and for the teams, but it's also, like, you know, the the groundskeepers and the ticket takers and, like, all of these different people. Right. I mean, like, the sport – and that was, as, that was as of 2013. That was almost 10 years ago. So I can imagine that has grown exponentially. Um, I would assume, yeah. But, but, yeah, like, I just – I think that that's really interesting, too. I mean, I see it, you know, in – I see it all over the place, you know, the the quality of life uh you know somewhere that has a sports team is totally different um you know than somewhere that doesn't and you know the city of memphis having you know so many sport you know they've got um 901 fc they've got the the redbirds they've got you know obviously the university of memphis and the grizzlies and um so you know having all of that you know one it gives people a positive thing to focus on which is great but also it brings the city in so much money like so much tourism money creates so many jobs and um you know that's something that i think you know people don't really think about unless they work in like the tourism industry or they're an economic developer like myself um but but you know it's those unseen things that really do have an impact and you know, affect taxes and affect, you know, like tourism commissions get, there's a hotel tax and they get funded by that. And then that money in turn is put back into, you know, the community. And so I don't know. It's cool. Well, how all that, that works. Yeah. Like I could go on about economic development for forever because like, it's cool well, how you see that money, like, you know, like a company, like, you know, a team comes, right. Cause a team is a business, right. 
And so a team comes to a community and they, you know, they bring in all of this money. Well, there's an economic impact of that because there's jobs created and like they are putting money into the community. But there's also a ripple effect because, well, hotels are going to have to hire more people. Restaurants are going to have to hire more people. Right. CPA firms are going to have to, you know, hire more people. Like there's all these different places, retail shops that are going to have to hire more people because they're going to see an uptake in their business because of having this team there, having having more people that come in. The airport's going to have to do renovations, the you know, and add maybe another right. flight, you know, all these different things. So the economic impact of, you know, a, a business locating to an area, I mean, is is huge. And that's something that people really don't think about because you just don't see it. You just see it happens and then, right. you know, things move on. But, like, you know, that's my job. It's, I'm behind the curtain, right? Like I'm seeing all of like the numbers flying around and trying to get the companies to locate. So it's a, I don't know. I think it's just cool to kind of like pull the curtain back a little bit and help people understand like the huge impact of something like that on um, a community. Right. Well, I mean, I haven't thought about all of that. I mean, obviously you think about the jobs and stuff, especially with my new job and helping get this university started Mm -hmm. and something as simple as filling out a staff of coaches and staff of teachers and right. staff of custodians, all these different mm-hmm. things just to get a couple of buildings going. And then the impact it has on the city itself, mm-hmm. like meal plans with different restaurants and all this. Exactly. It really does. It's a community of stakeholders for mm-hmm. a team Absolutely. or a business to be successful. You know, Absolutely. And so, I mean, you know, speaking of, you know, communities and the impact it has on them, I mean, you know, I mean, I've seen this with the Grizzlies. I've seen this with the Tigers. You know, I've seen this with so many teams is, um, and, you know, we see it with the Olympics, um, but a sense of national, state, city, community, whatever, unity over this right. one thing, right? And, like, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. Anytime I've gone to a Grizzlies game, nobody cares what you look like, where you're from, what tax bracket you're in, anything like that, like, you're there to see your team play the and game. everybody yeah. is celebrating when, you know, like jog gets a big dunk, right? Like everybody is celebrating for the same reason. And like, we're all there for the same reason. And so momentarily like going to a game and, you know, when I did the episode on sports with Dylan Graham, we talked about this a little bit, but like, when you're at a game or when you're watching a game, even if you're in like a bar with a bunch of people watching a game, right? Like, it's just like nothing else matters for that you know, three hour period except for this. Yeah, it's an escape from whatever's going on exactly. in your day. It gives you a chance to sit back, relax, and enjoy something and kind exactly. of be thoughtless even. Absolutely. And um another thing, um it you know, it creates role models. Well it give it I mean it gives students role models, you know, and their coaches. Right. And then, you know, at the at the college and professional level and even at the high school level for, you know, kids that are younger like it creates these role models and it creates this like example for somebody like to look up to. I mean, I know you have, you know, coaches that you look up to and that you want, you know, to model your career after you want to be a coach like X, Y, Z for your players. Right. And so, you know, from a coach perspective or from an athlete perspective, you know, just having these role models for, for kids to be able to like look up to and be like, okay, I came from this situation, but I can do this because they did. Or, you know, I love this sport and if I work hard, I can achieve what so-and-so did. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it gives gives kids something to look forward to, something to 
to strive to achieve, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I found a study that was done, um, back a few years ago and it says that, um, athletics has been proven to help shape the social character of participants. Um, a sample of 595 students from several, um, I believe college level, yeah, university, so college level students, was used um, in a comparative study where athletes and non-athletes were compared concerning social and moral character. So not um, educationally, but socially and morally. Um, And there was a significant difference between athletes and non-athletes, and the main conclusion was that sports helps build character and build that foundation in terms of teamwork, loyalty, and self-sacrifice. Um. And there, it said there was no evidence based on the study to support the idea that athletics help build moral character, um, but it's also not proven that it doesn't. Um, but, like, on the right. terms of teamwork, loyalty, and self-sacrifice, like, the athletes scored higher than the non-athletes because, obviously, that's, I mean, that's something that is, you know, ingrained in their minds. You know, if you're part of a team, you have to be self-sacrificing. You know, you can't be a Russell Westbrook stealing the ball and, you know, from your own teammate exactly. and going and dunking on them. Um and how embarrassing huh? right um so you can't do that um and you learn that and you know of course you're on a team teamwork and then being loyal to your team you know not um you know which i mean i know in the nba you know with as much as some people flip around they didn't maybe like have those foundations of loyalty but you know that's important you know i see it in like the grizzlies players you know of being like, I mean, John Morant could go anywhere, and he's like, it's Memphis. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Like, it's Memphis. And obviously, like, he's getting paid a lot of money to be and stay in Memphis. Um, but but he could also make a lot of money on a different team. He could literally call any team, yeah, and yeah. they would be like, please come, you know? Well, but, same thing with, like, Damian Lillard. Exactly. Dane could go anywhere. And he's like, no, Portland's where, where I am. And, right. you know, I have a lot of respect for players like that because um, – I mean, like, how long was Dirk at at the Mavs, you know? 20, 20 whatever years. And right, exactly. The, we're, we're talking about the community being buying in and, yeah. uh, like, have that unity. But whenever you have a figure like that, mm-hmm. it's a, a lot easier to get behind like it. Exactly. And that's the thing when it comes to, you know, my experience in the past five or six years with high school athletes is whenever mm-hmm. you can, again, like, I say the term, this phrase a lot, and it's cheesy, but it's cheesy because it's true. If, as a coach, you can live the standard and – do what you tell your kids to do and live a good mm-hmm. life, then that gives them way, like that gives them loyalty, accountability, integrity, all these words that mm-hmm. everybody wants to be, but maybe not actually works towards being. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and you, like you said, you don't see that in the NBA these right, days. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, well, and a lot of that, you know, honestly starts at the college level, in my opinion, because you know you've got. You know, you've got some coaches that are just like, oh, you know, you can be one and done and, like, I'm just going to push you to the NBA. Like, instead of, like, really coaching these kids and, like, taking care of them and laying this foundation. Because, I mean, if you're sending a freaking 19-year-old into the NBA, like, you better make sure, like, he's got a solid head on his shoulders or, you know, he's going to blow all his money. He's going to, like, blow his career. He's not going to, you know, he's going to end up in a shitload of trouble. Like, we've seen it happen a thousand times, you know. Well, a thousand times, and even more so now with transfer portal. Yeah. You know, it's right. one and done. You can go to a different school, and mm-hmm. there's no accountability. In, yeah. There's no, know, like, even leaving a place better than you. 
Exactly, exactly. There's no, like, leaving it better than you found it. It's going for a year, and if you don't like it, then you just leave. You don't have to yeah. persevere through anything, you know? Exactly. And so, I mean, that's honestly, like, the way things are now, that's, in my opinion, a negative impact. And I was going to talk on this a little bit later, um, but um, I'll go ahead and bring it up now because it kind of fits in with what we're talking about. But um, uh, somebody had asked us to discuss the NIL, and for people who don't know NIL, um, stands for name, image, and likeness. And the, um, the NCAA has decided to allow college players to make money off, off of their name, image, and likeness. So, you know, jerseys can be sold with their names on them. Like, you know, things like that at the bare minimum, things like that. Um, right. But you know, there's video games. There's, I mean, there's so much stuff people can make money. It's a whole world. Yeah. It's a whole thing. And so, I mean, this was a big battle back and forth and back and forth before it got approved. And I think there are pros and cons to it. You know, I mean, there's, there's some people like, you know, the money from that will be severely impactful on their lives. Right. Um, right. Because, I mean, I mean, like, if you look at college football, you know, these college football quarterbacks, they are a big freaking deal when they're in college. And some of them, they're a big deal in the NFL. Some of them, they just kind of fade away. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, right. that might be their time to make all their money, right? Um, and – but also, are these college kids – like, you know, who is making sure that these college kids, like, know how to – like invest their money and save it and do all of that, right? And right. and then you you come across like the arrogance factor of it. It's like, oh, like I'm you know, I'm hot shit because I'm, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old and like I'm in the NCAA football game, right? Um, I'm right. in a freaking video game and I think I'm hot shit. So like I think I'm better than everybody else and I'm gonna get this big ego and like it just becomes a whole thing. And so, well, and it's also a different recruiting tool now because right. it may not even be who's the best coach. What's the best fit. It's what's the, the quarterback for the Tennessee. It, you got uh, paid yeah. $8 million essentially yeah. to go play college football. Right. Like right. who's going to say no to that? Their coach can be the biggest jerk in the world, but if yeah, I'm but getting paid got, 8 yeah, million. Got, exactly. I'll go, I will go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. You, you can call me whatever you want for 8 right. million. Right. Yeah. You know for $8 million, <laughs> you can like beat me over the head every day. That's fine. Um, yeah. And like, so it just, it really complicates things and it kind of makes things like a little dirty and gross in my opinion. Like I, I get, I get the perp, like the, the, I get the intention behind it. Right. But I don't think the intention will be how it's executed. I don't think it will remain like a pure, well, we want to help the students thing. I don't think there's enough parameters around it, you know? I agree. And I think it's good that kids are making money on their name and because yeah. I mean, the NCAA has made money off of them for so long. They deserve right, exactly. to have, Absolutely. A, I guess, a piece of the pod. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you said, it seems gross. It seems dirty. It needs to be regulated. Yeah, that, yeah, there needs to be, like, solid regulated parameters around it. Just like because there are in the comes, NBA. I agree. Well, because what it comes down to is who has the booster with the willing to spend exactly. the most money. Well, and then, so then, so we're going to talk about boosters. Let's just... Well, let's talk about oh, Anthony Hardaway. We're going to get into him more in a little bit because, like, that's my dude and I've got, like, a whole thing. Um, but, you know, you have instances that just happened where, you know, James Wiseman, 
has grown up playing for Penny, right? Played with him since he was in eighth grade. Penny moved his family to Memphis while he was coaching at a freaking middle school and was like, hey, come here, have a better opportunity. You're an incredible basketball player. I'll put you through this program and like, we'll see what you can do. You know, wanted to give this kid a, a better life and an opportunity and saw that he could do that. So paid for his family to move. Did not pay them to move, but helped them move, right? Paid for the move. Paid for the move, right. And and you would like to think that it was like... I genuinely believe that it was just out of the goodness of his heart for an 8th grade kid that he wanted in his program, current program, because again, he was coaching not at the college level. He was a booster at the University of Memphis, but I don't think he... I mean, he didn't know that he was going to be the coach of the University of Memphis at that point. Right. You know? He was an alum. I mean... Exactly. And so he was a booster. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, all of that. So I don't think that that was his intention. Um, you know, if it ever comes out that, that that he says that that was his intention, I will be truly devastated. But I really don't right. think that that was his intention. And so <clears throat> then... You know, James Wiseman, you know, one of the, I, I think he might have been the number one recruit. If not, he was one of the top recruits. No, he was number okay. one. So he chose Memphis. He chose Memphis because that's his coach. That's who he grow, grew up playing for. That's all he knew was Penny. So obviously he's going to pick Penny. But the big schools were mad about it. And, you know, somebody that used to be the coach of Memphis caused enough of a fuss that people started digging into stuff. And, you know, they found this little tiny thing that, like, was completely unintentional, but it was a reason, you know, to, to you know, cause a fuss. Which now, that wouldn't even be looked at because, you know, of the Agreed. NIL stuff. And I truly think if he had gone to, like, Kentucky or Duke or somewhere like that, it would not – and, and this, it was the same situation – wouldn't have even been looked at, but it was because he chose the smaller school. It's because he chose Memphis that it got looked at because it was right. like, oh, no, we can't have one of the big guys going to a smaller school. Sorry, Penny Hardaway is a better recruit than you, John Calipari. Hate it for you, but <laughs> you suck, so. <laughs> well, so that's the thing, too. Like, there's a lot of that in college basketball. Yeah. Of high school coaches getting hired right. out of college. There's a lot of an uncle getting a job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there, there, that's always been a thing. And sure. as some people consider it recruiting tools, some people consider it favors. And now it's just recruiting altogether. Like, right. it's just. My thing is, it if that, it's not hurting anybody, if it's not causing someone, like, physical, mental, agreed. emotional pain, why do we care? Let this kid agree, play yeah, basketball I mean, where he wants to play basketball. The end. Well, that's a, whenever you start to make it about not the kids, that's when you start exactly. to run into issues. That's a problem. Because at that point, like, at that point, it was becoming about these programs being like, well, we want the best, you know, it, not about, well, we want this kid to be where he feels comfortable and he's going to thrive. When you stop caring about mm-hmm. how the kids thrive, it becomes a big issue. And that's why I have, I you know, that's why I have problems with, you know, with Cal because, you know, I used to like him. Even even when he was at Kentucky, I, I used to like him. But over the last several years, it has been, a, it's become a numbers game for him. And I don't like that. Because, you know, like, I mean, but, you know, you've, I've seen players that, you know, he's had a big impact on their life. I mean, John Wall graduated college because of an agreement he had with Cal, right? Like right. Cal said, well, if I get is- you to the NBA, if you go, if you go back and you like, you finish college, however you do it, you know, like I'll get you to the NBA, like that you have to agree right. to do that. And like, you know, he probably wouldn't have done that otherwise. And that's a big deal for him. Right. But at the same time now, 
you don't hear stories like that coming out of Kentucky. You just, I don't even know who's on the freaking team this year. Like they pop in and out so quick, you know? Well, cause that's the thing. He, I mean, he lost sight, didn't he? You yeah. guys like him, guys like Urban Meyer, they write good coaching books, mm-hmm. but they don't live that standard. They yep. write the book. So that means they yep. know it. They know the right thing. Right. They know how to they do the right thing. They just don't do it. Done the right thing at some point, and then something happens that I guess that switch flips and they just quit. Yep. And it's sad because again, that's that's not making it about the kids. That's the business right. side of it. And that's the side that I'll, that's not good. That's the side that makes Absolutely. people feel negatively about athletics. Absolutely, and I mean, so so a positive example of that, right? Is is Roy Williams? I mean, right? It's like just a solid dude, a solid coach, incredibly talented, like wonderful career. And like, I'm sure he, there's thousands of stories like this about Roy, but something that stood out to me and I've never followed like UNC. Like, I mean, obviously like Michael Jordan went there, like everybody knows UNC basketball is a really big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I've never, I've just never followed them. Um, but I remember I was getting ready to watch the NBA draft, like, you know, how ESPN does the little stories, you know, about the, the, you know, biggest in the draft class and like, you know, leading up to the draft. And so it was like, um, it was like the day before or something like that. And I just had ESPN on and they were doing, um, like a little story on Kobe white. And so I was like, Oh, like, you know, Oh, I'll sit here and watch this. I mean, you want to talk about cried. Like, I mean, my neck was wet. My shirt was wet. Like, I mean, sobbed. So, so for those of y'all that don't know, so Kobe White, um, he, um, plays basketball now for the Chicago Bulls. Um, but he was, um, when he was in high school, um, he was getting recruited by all kinds of guys, like all kinds of teams. Like he was just crazy talented and, um, you know, Roy Williams came to visit him um, and his parents um, and, you know, wanted him to come play for UNC. And, like, his dad, um, like, Kobe's dad and and Roy Williams, like, just hit it off. Like, you know, just and his dad was like, man, I love – like, you need to go. You need to go play for that man. Like, I really like him and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Kobe was like, okay, you know, like, when the time comes and, like, you know, it's time, you know, to receive an official offer from a school, like, you know – that's my dream. And then his dad got sick and his dad died. And, but he ended up going and he played at UNC and kicked ass at UNC and then went to the draft and got selected by the Bulls and like, you know, is living his dream. And I'll never forget, um, you know, after watching all of that, you know, I've kind of like kept an eye on his career, you know, and I'll never forget, like Roy will go to his games whenever he can. He'll go to Bulls games like as often as he can. Um, and I'm sure he will even more now that he's retired. But, like, I, is that not right. the sweetest thing in the world? Like, I mean, well, that was, you know, you like. You hope coaches do that. Right, you know what I mean? Like, right. if you coach a kid, you'd like to think that, you know, that you if you really are the role model that we yeah. strive to be, that you continue being that role model even when they're not under your wing anymore. Yeah. And when, when Kobe found out that, that Roy was at that game, he went off. Like, I mean, he had one of the best games that he had had so far in his career. And, like. He could not say enough about how much he means to him and like the impact he had on his life. You know, like he didn't have like his, he had lost his dad. And, you know, he he said, you know, in his pre-draft interview, he talked about that, you know, he saw so many kids, you know, where he grew up that like they went a completely different direction when something like that happened to them. Right. 
But right, because right. of the influence he had, like Roy had in his life, he had a constant. He had somebody that was there and that was like, no, like get your shit together. Like you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go that direction. Like you have a purpose, you know, focus on that. And that's so impactful. And again, like I said, like I'm sure there are thousands of stories like that. Um, about, you know, about Roy, about so many different coaches. And that's what it should be about. It should be about these students, you know, like obviously sports, they're fun to watch and we love it. Um, but when you forget what it's really about, when you forget, these are students that are getting an education and they're playing sports, you know? Well, and, and a lot of these kids wouldn't get that education exactly. if it wasn't for the sport. Exactly. And, you know, uh, George Fant went to, you know, WKU, Western Kentucky University. And, uh, him right. and his, his wife live in Bowling Green. And um, I think he plays for the Jets now. Um, but he was at the Seahawks for a while. And what's funny is, like, he was known around campus, like, for being a basketball player. Like, that was his thing. He was going to go to the NBA. He's a huge dude. And, but then the football team was like, hey, come play for us. And he ended up excelling at football even better than he was at basketball. He was great at basketball. And then now right. he has a career for about it, about it, doing it, whatever, whatever the term is, whatever. <laughs> he has a career in football. He's an NFL player. Um, there you go. But I saw somebody post um, the other day, a friend I have in Bowling Green, of um, there's, there's this part of Bowling Green that's like, you know, a lower income area. And George drove by and was just like, like went and was just playing basketball with these kids and he called this guy he owns like a local pizza shop and he was like hey can you bring like pizzas out to this park like I'm over here you know whatever and he was like you know like the guy came over and like was like taking pictures of the kids and like George didn't want to be in a single picture he was like I don't want this to have anything to do with me like I just want these kids to like know that they're loved and they they're cared about and you know whatever like that's the kind of athlete that you as a coach hope to breed and that you as a fan hope that you're rooting for right um exactly. is, is somebody that creates that kind of atmosphere and so um that brings me back to penny hardaway um so i'm gonna kind of give everyone a little story um a little lesson in the history of penny hardaway so there obviously that's what we're really here for that's what we're really here for <laughs> um so obviously you know being from memphis um you know my brother and penny went to college at the same time like they they were friends. They knew each other because my brother was the mascot at Memphis. And so, like, him and Penny were tight. And, which is funny because, like, I mean, like, there's pictures of me when I was little with Penny. But, like, I don't obviously remember that. And so now I'm like. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, right? Now I'm like, hey, Bill. Like, there's a picture of me, like, in a, like, University of Memphis, like, little cheerleader outfit. Like, standing in Penny's locker. <laughs> like, you know, with his, like, jersey behind me and whatever when he was at Memphis. Right. And, but anyway, like, I'm like, Bill, like. I want to meet Penny. And he was like, you've met him. I was like, yeah, but now. And he was like, okay. He was like, just give me notice before you come to town next. And I was like, okay. Like, what? <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, but, but yeah. So Penny Hardaway, he went to college at university. Well, he grew up in Memphis. Grew up in a really rough part of Memphis. Um, right. And then went to the University of Memphis. And uh, then graduated from there. And went on to have a huge NBA career. Uh, most notably for the Orlando Magic, I believe. Like, that was, like, the team right. that, you know, him and Shaq, you know, they really just had oh, had the best time. Um, and, <laughs> you know, had a huge career. And then, you know, then 
retired and came back to Memphis. So, um, so he got a friend from his, uh, he got a call from his childhood friend, um, named Des and Des had gotten cancer. And so, um, he asked Penny to come help him, um, coach, um, a middle school basketball team. I think this was in like 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, so asked him to come back and help him coach a middle school basketball team. Um, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the middle school that Penny went to. Um, and so he came back They and like, you know, just really took care of these kids. Um, and he like helped them win a state championship. And, you know, he, he was, he was coaching for free. Like he, he was not making any money because, you know, Lester was like the coach, like Penny was just helping him. Um, but he, he really cared a lot about like how the kids were doing academically. Um, and you know, he, he became their mentor. He became their tutor. Like he, he created this like mandatory tutoring program and the team's composite GPA went from 2.5 to almost 2.9 in one season. Oh, um, I know, right. And I mean, still not that great, but better than 2.5. Um, well, improvement, exactly. Right, it's all exactly, about progress. Exactly. And so, um, Des and Penny won three straight titles together at the middle school. And then they both moved to East High School, which, if anybody knows anything about Memphis, East High School is rough. Um, things are a lot better right. now. Um, but, it, you know, I mean, it was rough, rough, rough. Um, but there, um, he won another three state, three straight state championships. Um, and you know, he, he turned a local YMCA team into, um, one of the nation's best AAU programs. Um, they're called the Bluff City Legends. Um, and he invested in the city, you know, he helped fund the Memphis Sports Hall of Fame, which is named the Penny Har- or the Anthony Hardaway, like Memphis Sports Hall of Fame. He has a minority share in the Grizzlies. Um, but, you know, he really well, he, taught these students. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no you know, it's just like a guy that obviously coaching for the right reasons, getting yeah, exactly. back to the community, being a part of the community. Exactly. And, and so, you know, he talked to the team, the, these kids from like, I mean, the absolute worst part of Memphis about discipline and dignity. And like, if you want to play for him, school comes first. Um, and you know, he would, he would get to the school early in the morning, like when school started and he would, he had these kids class schedule and he would go check and make sure this was at at East high school and at Lester middle school. He would go check and make sure they were in class, make sure they were where they were supposed to be. Um, he would, you know, he would talk to the teachers about their progress reports and you know, what, where do they need help? And, you know, like they, they continued to, um, to improve. And his goal was, um, to have every single one of his players graduate from college one day. Um, and this is a fun fact in 2003, when he was in the NBA, he earned his college degree from the university of Memphis. Um, so I didn't know he actually graduated. I didn't know he went back and finished. It, nobody knows that he did it like quietly. He didn't want any publicity for it. Like he did it for himself. Like he did it just, you know, because he wanted to be able to do it, which I think that's even cooler that he wasn't like, look what I did, you know? I agree. I agree. Um, and so, you know, being from Binghamton, um, you know, he, he talked to the, the team about what that was like, you know, like what he grew up around, um, 
you know, he lived in the same projects that they did. Um, you know, in a statistic I read was of the 12 players on his team, nine of them didn't have fathers in their lives. At least six lived in cramped one and two bedroom apartments with more than six siblings. Um, and he said, this is a quote from him, don't use not having a father as an excuse. There are a lot of people who came out of adverse situations and made it. Use it as motivation and use it to drive you. Um, and, you know, That's he, great. and he talks about, you know, he grew up, he grew up without a father. So he kind of became their surrogate dad. And he was like, you know, don't use, don't become angry about this, but believe in yourself instead, believe in what you're doing and believe in your purpose. And, um, you know, like I remember reading this one article when I was doing all this research, um, and Des actually held a meeting with the Bloods, the Crips, the Vice Lords and the Gangster Disciples in Memphis. Um, and said, I don't care what y'all do. Just keep your hands off our kids. Like give them a chance. And every right. single gang leader was like, okay, they wanted those kids to succeed too. They wanted them to make it out. Cause they were like, we're too far into this. Like we don't have a chance, but like these kids have a chance to get out. Let's let them. And, um, that's great. and I just think that's, I think that's so cool. And I mean, he, like he would have players over at his mansion, um, and show them, you know, the positive side of Memphis. They're like, this is what you could have, you know, this is what you could do. You know, um, they had sleepovers and he taught them how to fold their sheets and make their beds and how to do laundry and like all this stuff. And so, um, so yeah. And then, you know, now he's the coach of the university of Memphis with, you know, with assistant coach Larry Brown, which is just awesome. Um, but yeah, I think, cool right. But I think it's just, it's just really cool. And of course that's just a personal example I have, right? I know there's, there's hundreds of thousands of coaches like that, but that's like a personal example I've seen. Right. And right. it's just, it just goes to show that like the type of like the type of foundation you can create for someone, you know, these kids wouldn't have had any opportunity outside of athletics. They wouldn't have just gone exactly. to college on their own. They wouldn't have gone to trade school on their own because, I mean, you know, like you don't have to go to college to be successful. This was just their opportunity. They wouldn't have gone right. to trade school. They wouldn't have gone to college. They would have probably entered one of those gangs. I mean, he said it himself. You know, if he didn't have basketball, he would have been in one of those gangs. He would have ended up, you right. know, in that same cycle that everybody else from there because they never had anybody to, like, push them to do more, right? And so that's what There's a coach should be. That's what a coach should be at high school level, college level, professional level push your players to be more. And, you know, Taylor Jenkins, who's the coach of the Grizzlies, um, you know, he's rarely angry. He's a very calm, level-headed guy. Now, last night he got very angry, and he, um, I believe, will be receiving well, a fine the from the NBA. Right. He should yeah. have been angry. The whole team was freaking angry. Um, right. But but he coaches that team with a very level head and a very, like, okay, don't get upset. What are we going to do to make it better? How are we going to fix it? Like, he, you know, there's not – it's not often that you see such like a coach in the NBA. You know, a lot of times it's basically just like the players kind of do their thing. I draft the plays, but like they kind of figure it out. But he's like a mentor. You know what I mean? And I mean, we have like, if not the youngest team in the NBA, one of the youngest teams in the NBA. So like they need that because they're, right. you know, they're all like they're all younger than me. I think I think literally every player is younger than me. Maybe Steven Adams might be my age. But well, like, they're still they're still kids, like we exactly, about, you know? exactly, and so you know people forget that you know. But you know who's not a kid? Pat Bev, and he knows better than to act the way that he does, and he's a freaking jerk. 
Well, I think that that is uh, what's wrong with a lot of the NBA. Right. It's that attitude. And, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, like, where did he go to college? What was his coaching situation like? Right. Like, what were these foundations that that he was brought up on? I'd be really interested to see that, to see if like that perpetuates any sort of behavior if if he's just like you know what I'm gonna just do my thing because I'm Pat Bev and I can do what I want but like I mean you know I was watching the game on ESPN last night and they were talking about like you know people love Pat Bev because of like you know he like just doesn't give a shit and like that's fine like cool whatever but like they were even the you know efficients officiators commentators whatever on um (laughs) Uh, words are hard tonight, apparently. But on That's ESPN, they were saying, like, you know, like, he needs to chill. Like, when he tried to slap the ball out of um, Desmond Bain's hand and, and, like, tried to get in his face and, you know, Des was like, okay, I'm just going to walk over here now. Like, I'm not going to get upset. But, you know, like. Because what good so does many, that do? Right, exactly. But you see so many players like that. Um, and it's a lot of these younger guys, you know. I mean, even Carl Town, like, I mean, Carl Towns you know, threw a bunch of fits and, you know, that's, he acted a lot like John Calipari. Um, and you know, just, you don't get your way and you yell around, you yell about it to see what's going to happen. Right. Um, but I just, I think that people don't always realize their impact on other people. Um, especially in the coaching world, it's everything we do is impacting somebody in some way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's the players Sometimes it's other members of your staff. Sometimes it is someone that that player will go and have a conversation with. You know what I mean? Like the ripple effect of your impact and, you know, like coaches and teachers in general do not get enough credit. I mean, especially with everything that y'all have been through over the last few years, like y'all do not get enough credit. Like teacher appreciation week is not long enough. It should be teacher appreciation decade because y'all don't get paid enough and you don't get taken care of enough to, you know, to you're forming the lives of children, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And, you know, I know there's a lot of teachers that listen to this and, you know, so I'm saying that to all of them too, is like, you know, your impact is, is so important and it is seen and is appreciated. And, you know, I'm sorry that you, that y'all don't get the recognition, um, you know, and the treatment that you always deserve. But, um, you know, like we see, long term the effect that you know both good and bad teachers and coaches have on people you know so I guess another side of this you know we've talked about a little bit of the negative you know with as far as like you know coaching goes um there were a couple of questions that were submitted um about you know the negative impacts of athletics so um what was asked or I guess stated um one thing is what do we think about the idea that jocks are untouchable and then, um, you know, bullies, you know, being unregulated and scapegoated under, you know, healthy competition, um, you know, the, the toxic masculinity of, you know, certain athletes and athletic programs. And then also, you know, I've done episodes about, you know, fandoms and stuff, but the, you know, the negative impacts of athletics and the social media world. You know, and how toxic that can get. All right. So the first one talking about like jocks being untouchable. Right. Personally, you know, like I think we we talked earlier in the episode about the mental health aspect of sports now, and even now mm-hmm. in the past ten years, how different that is. You know, in my experience, I think ten years ago that was probably a bit more prevalent. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you can be untouchable. You can act how you want, do what like you want. Like the high school because... stereotypes and that kind of thing. Right. And I do think that people dramatize that a little bit, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely there. You know, there are definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. work kids and certain coaches that let them do certain things and all that. But um, I would speak more now, like since I've been coaching for us in the program that I was just a part of and the program that I'm going to be building at this new school, I would put a big um, emphasis on you got to be – so Don Meyer is a famous basketball coach that mm-hmm. a lot of everybody who coaches loves him. And he's one of his sayings is like, be who you be, so that way you don't be who you isn't. So like <laughs> that's one of the one of the pillars of our program is be who you be, whether yeah. it's on the basketball court, in the classroom, in guidance counseling, in the office, mm-hmm. in the McDonald's drive through line, whatever it is, leaving the bus after a game, leaving mm-hmm. the gym after the game, just be who you be. Be the right person in the right situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that was as much. I think it's about 10 years ago, there was a lot of, oh, yeah, guys, we got to do the right thing. And then if the coaches didn't do the right it thing, wasn't how perpetuated. the players do the yeah. right thing? Exactly. There's no standard being a right. pro. And I think, yeah. No um, accountability there. Exactly. No integrity, no accountability. Mm-hmm. All those buzzwords, like the culture buzzwords, but the ones that actually right. do mean something. They're hanging um, up flags in the gym, but they're not being followed. Exactly. Yeah, it's really easy to put like a cheesy saying on a poster, but if right. you're not actually doing it, then it's just a cheesy poster. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I do think there's a bigger emphasis on not being a jerk mm-hmm. just because you're an athlete. I think now so more so it's, hey, you can't be a jerk because you're an athlete. You have mm-hmm. to be not perfect, but damn near perfect in anything you do because especially for us, like we talk about now you're a reflection of yourself, your mm-hmm. parents your team, your, like me as a coach, your teammates, like one kid messes up in the classroom when not all basketball players are assholes in the classroom. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, and like, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're an athlete, when you're a student athlete, you know, you're, you're on the court, you're on the field, whatever, you know, at whatever level it may be, like people are watching you and people see you. So (laughs) if you're acting a certain way elsewhere, it's going to be noticed more than the person who doesn't participate in any clubs or activities and, like, you know, they act a certain way. So, like, you know, just like, you know, professional athletes have these platforms, right? Like, so there's an expectation for you to behave a certain way. Now, I'm not saying that, like, it's fair how, you know, people's lives get picked apart, right? But, like, you know you are in the public eye and you have a responsibility there. And I think, you know, one thing that has been – need to see over the past few years, you know, it's unfortunate the circumstances that happened to, you know, create these conversations, but, you know, seeing how athletes have taken a stand on their, on what they believe in and the things that are important to them, you know, whether it be Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, like anything that we've seen, you know, like the, um, you know, the LGBTQ movement, like any, anything that an athlete has taken a stand on, I think that's really important that they feel like they have that voice and that they use it. Because again, like we talked about earlier, there are role models and, you know, I mean, there are, there are kids that are like, I'm an athlete and, you know, I'm part of the LGBTQ community and I don't feel like there's a place for me, but I see this athlete that's speaking out about this. So now I feel like there's a place for me and that I can, you know, like that is a safe space for me, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. Like, you know, there's this long list of, you know, people who 
have a history of racism, right? And they see their favorite athlete speaking out about, you know, speaking out against racism. And they're like, wait, maybe I need to reevaluate how I treat people and how I talk to people and, you know, the way that I am, because this athlete that I really love and respect is speaking out against this. And so that makes me want to think more about it. And, you know, just all in the Me Too movement, you know, the way that men treat women and the way that women treat men and the way that we all treat each other, you know, um, giving a voice to the voiceless is really what anybody in the public eye has done. But we've seen it so much in athletics because it's so public and, you know, in, I mean, you know, Nike is everywhere. Right. And so, you know, they've taken a stand with athletes and, you know, with the, you know, athletes taking a knee during the national anthem and like all of that, that was done. Like it is all incredibly public. And so, you know, I think that, starting that conversation as young in an athlete's life as you can is so important so that they have a good head on their shoulders and they understand like when I say something I better mean it and if I say I am this type of person I better be that type of person everywhere you know I can't act like this good guy exactly be who you be because you can't act you know, a certain way, like, you know, this big reputable dude on the court, you know, or or woman on the court, whatever. And then, you know, you're, you know, doom scrolling on social media and like hate following people and like, you know, bullying someone or, you know, whatever you, or, you know, mistreating your significant other, anything like that. You can't do that just because people aren't watching or you think people aren't watching, you know? So I think, I think that's really encouraging to hear, like, from a coach's perspective, um, that you have seen a shift in that. And obviously, that's not everywhere. You know, there's, there are these, you know, coaches that are part of programs that have perpetuated a certain um, behavior and made it okay. Um, right. And, you know, that's going to take a lot of work to change. Um, but it is encouraging to hear, you know, that you've noticed that and many programs and that you do feel like it is changing because I mean, it was honestly like long past time for it to change. No, I agree. And that's one of the things too, that we've kind of um, tried to remind the kids, you know, I'm a big believer in bringing my family around, Mm -hmm. making sure that my, my players see me interact with my wife, interact with my two young kids because yeah, like how to treat a woman, how to treat your family. Yeah. Well, exactly. And if I tell my, players that we're a family but I don't bring my family around mm-hmm. then again not it's like that so disjointed yeah you're saying one thing but doing another mm-hmm. thing and so being able to bring them around those <clears throat> bringing my kids around the kids around the players I'm sorry I call them my kids yeah right I mean <laughs> that players. makes sense um you know and I make sure that they understand that I you know being who I be the better teacher I am the better mm-hmm. coach I am the better coach I am the better father the better father better husband They're all interchangeable. Like I have to be able to do them all and work at being good at them all every day in order to continue being good at it and continue, you know, my wife isn't going to, you know, love whenever I come home if I'm taking my bad day out on her. Right. Uh, You know, if my kids see me being a jerk to them after a long day at school, then they don't have fun at practice. And that's, you know, one of the things we always preach about in practice is every day, whether it's basketball or life, you got to have fun and you got to get better. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing those two things, like, what's the point of mm-hmm. school, basketball, anything? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, and I mean, you know, them understanding, too, like, okay, when you have bad days, like, here's how you handle that, right? Like, how are we going to get better? How are we going to improve? How are we going to, you know, push through that instead of just, like, 
like you said, like being hateful to other people around you because you're having a bad day. Because we're all we all have bad days. Like we're human, right? But it's like how we handle that and how we treat the people in our lives around us when we are having a bad day that like really counts. I agree. I agree. And again, that's kind of the accountability, integrity, all the things we've been talking about. That's kind of where why we teach those things, why we harp on those things mm-hmm. to make sure that we act like that, act the right way. For sure. Um, so the other point that was made or the other question that was asked, I guess I should say, um, you know, the, um, the healthy competition thing, you know, like the negative right. connotations of that. Like, is that something that you, you also see an improvement with of like, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, we see, you know, in college and NBA, you know, and, you know, NFL, whatever, you know, this aggression that comes out on the court, you know, these guys getting in each other's faces, stuff like that. Um, so do you see like an improvement with that? Like how, you know, from a coaching perspective, how do you deal with, you know, situations like that? This, like the line between healthy competition and like, you know, aggression, I guess. Well, I think what it really comes down to is like, to talk about Patrick Beverly earlier. Like, yeah. people will throw that out as... Well, it's um, just how he is. Yeah, it's healthy competition. It's how he is. Like, if you're an ass, you're just an ass. You can't paint that right. any other way. <laughs> exactly. Like, you can't, you can't just keep acting that way and say, oh, that's who I am. Because, like, then you're just complacent, and that's not helping anybody. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. Um, it, it's it's it, allowing his behavior. It's excusing his behavior. Yeah, it's just an excuse. And there's enough excuses in life. You don't need to give anybody one, you know? I like um, that. I like that. That's a that's a good yeah. line right there. <laughs> you, you can use that. You can, you Thank can you just so give much. me credit, but you can use it. <laughs> Heard it here um, first, folks. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so you know, the healthy competition I think probably means a little bit different to each person, yeah. but like, you know, like trash talking is probably a little bit of a part of sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, of as long as you don't. I mean, even as fans, about... we do it, right? Like, I mean, exactly. I, I did it at the beginning with you know dogging you for being a Pelicans fan. <laughs> that was like, hey, Pelicans fan, you're not talking about my wife or my exactly. family or my physical look or my right. Like, there are lines, or, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> there's there's lines that you don't cross, right? And but I think guys like Patrick Beverly probably has a different line than what you for sure. would consider the correct yeah, line. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Well, and I mean, like, so, even, you know, when the Grizzlies played the Lakers way back um, earlier this season and, like, you know, just cr- crushed them at home. And, like, they were all talking smack because they were like, yo, we are beating LeBron right now. Like, that, like imagine being the age of those players and, like, you've grown up watching LeBron James and, like, now right. you're doing this. Like, that's got to, like, you've got to be hyped up. Like, you're like a little kid in a candy store, right? And LeBron threw a giant fit because they were talking trash. And I was like, the king of trash right. talk is hurt. He's getting his feelings hurt by this. Like, it was so dumb. And so it was just like, but they were like the healthy competition. They weren't like, hey, LeBron, like saying stuff about his wife or his kids or anything. Agreed. They were just like, you know, like one thing Jaw does all the time is he, you know, like, you know, makes like a motion towards the ground and says like, you're too little. Like that, like to me, that's hilarious. Like somebody trying to block him, he's like, you're too little. He's not like literally saying like, Hey, you're short and you suck at basketball. Like, you know, it's healthy competition. And, you know, obviously unhealthy things happen too. You know, I mean, I've seen Grizzlies players plenty of times getting people's faces and, um, you know, Dylan Brooks has a little bit of a, a quick temper 
And, you know, yeah. he, he's not my favorite Grizzlies player anyway. That's fine. Um, and we right. had, uh, you know, we had Grayson Allen, who does not have the best reputation in the world, but he doesn't play for us anymore. Right. Thank the Lord. Um, there you, you know, go. And that's an example of unhealthy competition, right? But I think I agree with you is, you know, there's a line there. And, um, you know, as a coach, it's not like you're saying like, hey, you know, go talk. Tr- Here's how you trash talk. But like, if you hear that line crossed, you're like, hey, let's have this conversation you know, let's cut that out now. Or also laying that foundation with your with your students and with your um, with your players of like, here's how we treat other people, and then you won't right. have to worry about them crossing that line because they know how to be a decent human being. Well, and that's the thing too about um, when it comes like the healthy competition. It's mm-hmm. human nature to compete, right? Right. But it's not human nature to, I guess, like do it negatively. Like, right, there's, to, like you know mistreat what I mean? others. And that's a miss. That's a great word. Like, I don't have to mistreat you to compete with you. Yeah. Like that's when you take away from the, from the pure support of it. I don't have mm-hmm. to name call exactly to compete. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're, if you're doing that, there's like a whole other issue there. That's not, that has nothing to do with athletics. I agree. Yeah. That's so, you know, athletics is something that can help with issues, mm-hmm. but sure. whenever you, you, whenever you play like that, talk like that while you play, that's mm-hmm. whenever you have other things that a coach can probably help you with. Yeah, that you, know you need I mean? that, like, you know, a coach can see and be like, okay, let's, let's, let's some accountability let's, here. Yeah, let's you have a I mean? conversation and, you know, understand where this is coming from. Right, for sure. Exactly. I agree with that. Um. Well, so is there anything else, like, impact of athletics-wise that you would like to, to bring up to discuss? Um, you know, I think I hit everything I wanted to talk about. You know, I think it's for anybody because I'm not gonna lie. I was a little bummed whenever you kind of told me some of the questions before, Mm -hmm. whenever it came down to essentially a negative impact. Like nobody wanted to ask about a positive impact. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's probably a lot of negative connotations that, you know, I would say even as a teacher, like, Oh, he's a coach he's not a teacher like no i take both jobs seriously because i have to i can't coach if i don't teach right right mm-hmm. um and so i do think it's i guess a little bit of a bummer it's a little disheartening that people mm-hmm. just who i guess aren't involved in sports yeah tend to think about it negatively yeah um but i am glad that we were able to kind of paint i, I think i painted or i think we painted yeah, together sure. a more positive picture and especially if not a more positive picture, or at least a picture of, hey, here's how it can be better. This like is like a, a bigger understanding of it, like a yeah, full, a I'm, full picture of it. I like that a full picture. Yeah, because if if used correctly, just like anything else, mm-hmm. you know, whatever other extracurricular, other hobby or anything mm-hmm. that you are a part of, if you use it the right way for the right reasons, it typically ends up good. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, um, and I think I agree with you. I think, you know, and, you know, that was that was so much of why I wanted to to, you know, have this episode, because like, I mean, I hear like my boss, she's not a big she's not a big sports fan. And one reason is because of like the attitudes of a lot of professional athletes and like, you know, you know, them being like, you know, there's so because there are so many professional athletes that, you know, have this like untouchable God complex right. of like, you know, I deserve this. And so I'm going to complain about, you know, making multi-million dollars a year instead of being grateful for the opportunity. And so and like I get that. I know so many people that they don't right. like professional sports for that reason. Um, 
And I understand why. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I do understand that. And you so, know I mean? so I love, you know, us being able to give examples of like, here's some positive things and here's a coach's perspective and here's, you know, what, what you're trying to work against and the foundation that you're trying to build and, you know, understanding that, you know, it's not all athletes that are this way. It's just, you know, it depends on the program. It depends on the person. It depends on, you know, the foundation that was laid. Because at the end of the day, people are responsible for themselves. But, you know, if you're a kid who grew up with no examples and, like, the closest thing to an example or a role model you had was your coach and your coach perpetuated negative behavior, well, then how, you know, or even if your parents perpetuated negative behavior, how are you going to end up? You know what I mean? And that's not making right. excuses because if, you know, like if you are an adult and you are, you know, told, hey, your behavior is inappropriate. Okay, change it. You know, like when you're, right. you're an adult, but, you know, that's hard. You know, if people like, you know, Patrick Beverly, you know, people are <laughs> like, oh, that's so funny. Like, you know, we love that he's like this. Well, he's never going to change. Also, he went to right. college at Arkansas for two years. And, yeah, I looked that up earlier too. Um, that tells me all that I needed to know. Um, okay, but our so, stuff is a lot different now. I love right, Eric exactly. Musselman. I think he yeah, does it's a great different now. Job. Yeah, for and sure. It's a perfect example of mm-hmm. how one person can come in yep. and make such a different ripple. You know Absolutely. What I mean? Absolutely. Um, well, and like, you know, it's just the effect that, like you said, one person can have on a whole program um, and, you know, on all these different athletes. And, you right. know, um, I feel like Pat Bev too, he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, you know, cause he got shuffled around for a little while at the beginning of his career. And, um, right. so, you know, he, he kind of never got rid of that attitude and that's kind of like almost an, a more old school mindset too. Um, and I think that that's being weeded out a little bit more nowadays of the like, okay, you know, just, just work and get to where you want to be in your career. Like do a Marcus all thing and like, okay, no, nobody wanted you in college. Okay. Go play in Europe for a few years. And then come to the NBA and, you know, right. win, a, win a title. Um, well, just well, I said work on yourself and don't expect. Exactly. Like, it's just to work out, I guess. You yeah, know what I mean? exactly. Like, you know, if, if you see, if, if things aren't going the way that you want them to go, you need to look internally. Um, because like Agreed. you can't change 100%. other people, you can change yourself. And, you know, if you don't like the way that your life is going or the, you know, the things that are happening, you can't blame other people. You know, it may be because other people aren't selecting you, right? Like, you're not getting chosen by the teams you want to get chosen by. Okay. But instead of throwing a fit about it or having a bad attitude about it, like, okay, what can you do? Okay, I'll go play in Europe and I'll work my tail off and I will come back and I will be a better player for it. Or I'll just go play in Europe for my whole career and still make money doing what I love to do. Just because it's not the dream that I saw for myself, you know, whatever. So, um, I think that, you know... Um, that that's, you know, that's something that people need to think about too, is like, I mean, and not just in athletics, but in everything, it's like, you know, if things aren't going the way that you want them to go, like the only person that you can control is yourself. And so, you know, if you want something to change, what can you change? How can you change the situation? And sometimes there's not really much you can do. You know, you can just change your attitude towards it and just do the best that you can do. Exactly. And so we tell our kids all the time, attitude and effort is the only thing you can control in a game, in life, whatever it is. So why worry about a bad referee call or all anything? You know what I mean? Well, and that's what, that's, you know, part of what Taylor Jenkins was saying is like, you know, he was mad and like all the players last night, you know, that they were mad about all the officiating, but you know, Josh said like, you know, back to it. See y'all Tuesday going back home. Like, 
you know, back, you gotta like, be better than the other team the and the referees. Exactly. You gotta, you know, go back to the, back to the drawing table. I'm trying to pull up his tweet. Cause, um, I, uh, I meant to take a screenshot of it, of like what he said, cause it kind of fit into this because, you know, obviously poor officiating, um, you know, that, that makes you angry and throws you off. Right. Cause like Taylor Jenkins said, it threw off all of his rotations. Because, right. you know, like the entire starting lineup nearly fouled out in the first quarter. Like, it's just, it was wild. But So he said, um, three-game series, let's go, study, correct, win. So instead of saying, like, screw the refs and this, that, and the other, he was like, study, correct, win. Like, what can I do to be better? And, like, well, that's, the thing is, you know, that's not, we can referee, all take a lesson from that, right? Well, I agree, because if the referees would have called it in favor of the Grizzlies, they would not be complaining about it. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, and I, so I appreciate any athlete that has that kind of attitude. Cause I've, I've seen a lot of NBA players that respond that way. of just like, you know what, there's nothing we could do about it. We are going to, and NFL, NFL players too. Um, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. What we can focus on is how we're going to be better next time. And you know, that's all, that's all you can do. So I think that that's, you know, I guess we can leave people on that, that that's a lesson for everybody is, you know, if you're in a situation that you don't like, um, that you're not enjoying, that's not what you thought that it should be. Okay. How can you change that? What can you do to, you know, either remove yourself from a certain situation, um, or, you know, improve your circumstances, whatever it may be. You can, at the end of the day, it's, it's you. And so, you know, you're the only thing that you have control over. You can't control, the way other people respond to things. So I agree. Yeah. That's a great one. Well, thank you again so much for taking time out of your, your evening um, with your family and coming on here and talking sports with me. I greatly appreciate it. Well, I had a great time. I appreciate you having me. I'm glad that I could uh, add a little bit of insight. Of course. All right. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the People Project Podcast. That is all I've got for you this week. Um, I have already got um, my next two guests lined up, so I don't think we're going to have any more issues of uh, me getting ghosted at the last minute by a guest, hopefully. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah. So, thank you guys again for listening, as always. Um, I really appreciate... um, the ratings and reviews and, um, you know, shares on social media and all that good stuff that you guys give me. Once again, I could never do it without y'all. So I'm really excited because we're coming up on one year of the podcast. Um, I think, I think that's next week. I need to look at my calendar because like April has just gotten away from me. Um, but yeah, like we're coming up on the one year mark of the people project. So, um, I'm really excited for what's to come and, you know, It's just, it's really special to me that I could create this podcast and could create this little like community of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever this may be on my little corner of the internet. And oh my gosh, I just realized tomorrow, um, April 25th. So when you're list, when you guys are going to be listening to this, it's the one year anniversary of the podcast. How cute is that? So Happy birthday to the People Project. Here's this episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. What a year. It's been so fun. So thank you guys again before I get all emotional on here. Um, Thank you guys again for listening. It's This is just really cool and really special to me. So 
couldn't do it without you. Everybody that's listened the last year and everybody that will keep listening and that will start listening and everything for hopefully a long time to come. So until next week, y'all have a good night. Or day. Whatever time it is, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs>